Amen, amen, amen. Um, Genesis chapter 50, verse number 19. One more announcement. I, I keep forgetting announcements and then I want to get into the word. But next week you heard um, one of my mentors is going to be here. So Pastor Rick and Denise Renner, I learned so much of the word of God from them throughout the years. Um, cut my teeth really on, on all of what Rick has taught over the years. And for years, I would re-preach his sermons. I just make them better. I take them. No, no, just play. And, uh, and so uh, the reason why my theology is, is as excellent and superb as it is, is, is because, that's a joke too, is because of Rick. And it, Rick and I only, maybe I, th- I can only think of one thing where I don't see eye to eye with him theologically, and I'm giving him a chance to grow in that area. He'll be here. He'll be here next week, and he is a wonderful man of God. He was on our board of directors here at the church for uh, 20 years or so. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having him come and minister. So do me a favor. Don't extend July 4th weekend, oh, July 4th holiday over next weekend. You know how church people have a, have a tendency to do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, holiday could fall on Monday. Don't miss the Sunday before and the Sunday after. Like, oh, you know, I had to go out for 4th of July. Listen, if you're home and around making your point business to be in church and hear this great man of God, I promise you he will deposit something rich into your life. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 19. It says, Joseph said to them, and them are his brothers. Them are the ones that have betrayed him, sold him into slavery, um, pretty much put a wrench in the dream that he had for his life and what he thought God had for his life, um, pretty much caused pain and heartache and disappointment and uh, pit stops and all sorts of things caused him to go into prison, all because of his brothers. So he said to them, do not be afraid. For I am in the place of God. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? I'm in the place of God. Imagine if I got up here and I said, I just want you all to know today, I'm in the place of God. You all be looking at me like, this, he's really lost his mind. How many of you know that we are vehicles, conduits for God to minister to other people? Right? That's what Joseph means here. And we need to be acutely aware of that. We may be the only Jesus that people get to contact. And we may be that link to a miracle in somebody's life. And so we need to always remember who we're representing. He said, he said, do not fear for I am in the place of God, which also leads me to believe that, that when we get before God, there's, there's no reason to fear in this kind of way. We should have a healthy, holy fear of God, but not afraid of God to the point where we think, oh no, what's he going to do to me? He said, he said, do not fear. I'm in the place of God. Uh, he said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order for me to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, uh, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Today we are continuing in our series, Good, Good Father. Our objective has been to raise your expectation and awareness of the goodness of God. Because the enemy of our soul, we've been learning this, has two plans. The first one is to convince us that there is no God. But if he loses that battle, his next plan is to try to convince us that God is not good. Because whether we believe God doesn't exist or that God isn't good, our relationship with God gets shipwrecked and our our faith gets ruined. And so we've been endeavoring to counteract that lie with the truth of the fact that God is good. And we've been looking at scriptures like Psalm says, give thanks to the Lord for he is 
good. Another scripture that says, I'm confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And one of the greatest stories in the Bible about the goodness of God is the story of Joseph. And so today what I want to talk to you about is the big subject matter, seeing that God is good when life is hard. Seeing that God is good when life is hard. And I want us to uh, look at this message that I'm calling today, Good Eyes. Good Eyes. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit to each and every person? Would you encourage each and every one? Help somebody today. um, Help them to be matured and groomed into the image of your dear son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. And everybody sit. You may be seated. As many of you know, I love baseball. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the, the Yankee Astro game and uh, Old Timers Day. It was a, a great day. Um, it was one of the only games that the Yankees lost in a streak of 10. And that's because I went there and put the Maloika on them. And, uh, and it was always a good, see, everybody was looking at it as a bad day because the Yankees lost. I thought it was a great day. It was a wonderful day. Got to eat good food, see the Yankees lose. Anyway, I love baseball. I've coached baseball for years. I don't do it anymore, but I coached for about 12 years or so, maybe even 14 years. And one of the things that always uh, kind of I got a chuckle at was how the kids would get up at some point in the game and get on the dugout fence. And specifically when our team was at bat, they'd get on the dugout fence. And uh, they'd do it. They'd start ye- yelling and screaming and and. and They'd say things, and part of the reason why they would do this is to do two things, rattle the pitcher, but encourage the batter. And one of the things that they would yell sometimes during the course of the game is if the pitcher threw a ball and and the batter didn't swing at it, they'd yell, good eye, good eye, good eye, good eye. And that basically meant, you know, you, you did good, you know, but it also meant that you didn't swing at a bad pitch. You didn't swing at a pitch that, that you couldn't hit. You didn't swing at a pitch that if you made contact with, all you do is make an out. You let it go by so that you can have the advantage. And, and in doing that, the batter would be encouraged and the pitcher would be, be discouraged, if you will. And, and I learned something about dealing with spiritual things in life. And that is that we, we can't swing at the devil's pitches in life. He throws stuff into our life in order to preoccupy us, in order to get us to swing. And when we swing at the stuff that the enemy throws our way, all it does is produce outs. We lose in life. But if we want to win in life, we've got to learn to see that despite what the enemy is throwing our way, despite the bad that's going on in life, God is still good. There's a secret to life, and the secret to life is seeing that God is good even when life is bad. And and when I think about that principle, I can think of no other story in the Bible that better represents that than the story of Joseph. And I could really relate to the story of Joseph for many reasons. First of all, my middle name is Joseph. So you learned something new about me today. My middle name is Joseph. My son's first name is Joseph. So I really like the story of Joseph. I like the name, the story of Joseph because Joseph is an Italian name. What's better than that, right? So I love it. I could really relate to Joseph on many levels. My middle name is Joseph. My son's name, first name is Joseph. It's an Italian name. Joseph is good looking. I could also relate to that. So I I really relate. The Bible says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I'm like, I feel you, man. I know what you know it's like, bro. I can really relate to what Joseph is, the story of Joseph. But here's the real reason why I like the story of Joseph. I like it because Joseph seemed to be able to know that God was good even when life was hard. 
And, and, and when I look at the story of Joseph, you may know it. I'll give you the cliff notes of the story of Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 sons to, to his father, Jacob, and his, and his mother, Rachel. Uh, Jacob loves Joseph more than any of the other kids because he's the son of his old age. He loves him so much that he goes and he buys him this really fancy designer coat. I believe he ordered it by Amazon Prime so to get there for Christmas morning. All the other kids got socks and underwear. Joseph got the real nice coat. And, and Joseph wore this coat around. It was like that kid that got that toy that he really liked. I believe he wore that coat. You know, he slept in that coat, wore it out to play, wore it to work. You know, coat needed to be washed, but Joseph was so proud of that coat. He didn't want to let that coat down. And everywhere that he went, because he had that coat on all the time, the brothers would see the coat and they would know. They'd be reminded of the fact that Joseph was his father's favorite. Joe was a little young when he got the favorite coat, and and so he didn't kind of use wisdom in some things. And and one day when they're having breakfast, you know, they're having their bagels and locks. Because they're Jewish, right? Bagels and locks. They're having their bagels and locks around the breakfast table. And Joe's like, hey, guys, I had a dream. And, and I want to tell you about my dream. He said, in my dream, there were these sheaves, whatever they are. And he said, and my sheaf was bigger than y'all's sheaf. And y'all were my brother's sheaves. And y'all brother sheaves bowed down before my sheaf. And, and he basically what he was saying is, you're all going to serve me. And so they really didn't like it. And they were thinking, we're going to get you when dad is not around. And then, and then Joseph waits a few days. And he sees they're getting angry. And he kind of stirs the pot a little bit more. The next day, they're having their potato lockers at breakfast. You know, the Jewish thing a little bit further. And, and, and jo- Joseph said, I had another dream. I'm going to share that. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed down before me. And they're like, we are really going to get you. We're going to beat you senseless, kid. We are going to give you the biggest atomic wedgie. Anybody know what an atomic wedgie is? That's when you pull the underwear over the head. That's an atomic wedgie. If you just pull it up a little high, that's just a regular wedgie. Atomic wedgie. We used to give this kid around my neighborhood atomic wedgies all the time and so this particular their brothers we're going to get you we're going to beat you when dad is not looking and sure enough one day dad tells uh, his son joseph go check on your brothers out in the field and so joseph decides to go check on him and and he's coming from far away they see the you know the fancy coat and one of the brothers says let's just kill him literally let's kill him and another brother stands up he said no let's not kill him his name was judah you remember him we talked about judah and tamar from a few weeks back in the message god is that good and judah says no let's not kill him he said let's let's take his coat from him let's let's dip it in animal blood let's throw him into a pit sell him into slavery sell him to the gypsies who are on their way to egypt then we'll go back with the coat that is dipped in blood we'll tell dad that his favorite son has died and so that won't be an issue for us anymore and sure enough they do that and joseph gets sold into slavery gets picked up by these these gypsies they sell him to a man named potiphar and Potiphar is this rich captain of Pharaoh's guard. And, and Potiphar sees that everything that he puts into Joseph's hand prospers. And so he puts Joseph in charge of the, the his entire estate. Nothing that he has is not managed by Joseph. And while Joseph is there, Mrs. P, she starts getting... Uh, googly eyes for Joseph. And she tries to get Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph says no. And he, he runs away. And when she was rejected, she makes up a lie about Joseph. And she tells Mr. P that Joseph came on to her, tried to rape her. Mr. P puts Joseph in jail. Joseph goes into jail. And while Joseph is in jail for a crime he didn't commit, he meets these two guys, a butler and a baker. They become boys. And the butler and the baker, they're having these dreams that they have no idea how to interpret. And Joseph is like, well, tell me y'all's dream. I'm pretty good with 
with these dream, dreams. And one of them says, well, I had a dream and this is what happened. Joseph said, no sweat. In a couple of days from now, the king is going to call you back out. Pharaoh is going to call you back out. You're going to live. He looks at the other guy and says, not so good for you. You're going to be beheaded in a couple of days. A couple of days go by. One is beheaded. One is let loose. On the way out, Joseph looks at his boy and says, listen, remember me when you get to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh I'm in here and I didn't do it so that Pharaoh can get me out of here. The guy goes, yeah, I'll remember you. Two years go by, he forgets Joseph. All of a sudden, Pharaoh is having dreams about fat cows and skinny cows. I have dreams about skinny cows. It's a cheese. Uh, and anyway, he's having dreams about fat cows and skinny cows. And he doesn't understand it. None of the magicians in all of the land understand it. And so the, the, the guy who was in prison with Joseph, I think it was the butler. I always forget whether it was the butler or the baker, but I think it was the butler. The butler says, hey, there's a guy that I met in prison, and he interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh says, go get him. He orders him to come. So they shave him and shine him, and Joseph is walking out of prison like an Egyptian. Walking like an Egyptian. Get it? Uh, anyway, so, so, see, all are slow today. And so he's walking out of prison, and, and, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, tell me your dream. And Pharaoh tells him the dream. Uh, fat cow, skinny cow, seven years. He says, that's easy. Seven years of plenty and harvest. He said, seven years of famine. During the seven years of plenty, what I need you to do is to save all your food so that during the seven years of lean years, you'll have plenty of food for you. And everybody in the region will come from all around to get food from you. And Egypt will be the most powerful nation on all the earth. And the Pharaoh looks at Joseph. He says, I like you, kid. You're no average Joe. It's another joke. You got to stay with me, right? And he puts him in charge. He puts a ring on his finger. He says, only in terms of my title will I be greater than you. Everything in Egypt will go through you. And so Joseph is now in charge. He's in the palace. Sure enough, his brothers who sold him into slavery, who beat him up, who told his father he was dead, are told by their dad to go to Egypt to meet this guy who's in charge of the food. Well, they don't know it's Joseph because they come before Joseph and Joseph looks like an Egyptian. He's got makeup on and everything like that. And Joseph messes with him a little bit. He's like, you all have a, a brother named Benjamin. Bring your brother Benjamin to me. And he thinks, they think that he's going to kill Benjamin. You know, unless you bring Benjamin to us, you ain't getting no food. And then he, he puts some cups and some coins in their bag, make it look like they stole stuff. And after he's done messing with them a little bit, he says to them, he says, don't worry, I'm Joseph. And they're like, you're not Joseph. You don't look nothing like Joseph. And he takes off his makeup and he shows them his circumcision. It's in the Bible, by the way. That's not a joke. That's the fact. And he's like, yes, the Egyptians don't do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you really are Joseph. And now they think Joseph is going to get them back. And like, they're shaking in his boots. And all of a sudden, Joseph looks at them and he says, don't you worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good to save us all. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to pay you back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you houses. Go get dad. He's got grandkids to meet. Go, go bring your wives. They've got nieces and nephews to meet. He says, God is good. Life is good. And I love it when a dream comes together. That's the story of Joseph, right? Now, when I look at the story of Joseph, one of the things that is interesting is that we have the benefit of seeing the end of the story. And so for us, that's a great story. I love that story. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Joseph didn't know that being betrayed was going to turn out to being blessed. Joseph didn't know that when he was thrown into a pit, that was his ticket to promotion. Joseph didn't know that when he got put in prison and accused of a crime that that he didn't commit and was there unfairly and unjustly, that was going to be his connection to the palace. That was going to be his connecting point to the dream that God had given him that everybody hated him for. Joseph didn't know that all of his pain, all of his sorrow, all of what he was going through was going to have a happy ending because he didn't have the benefit of the end of the story. And although this is not my point, I want to encourage somebody who might be going through, don't lose faith in the end of the story. 
What happens to us so many times in life is we, we stop, you know, at a chapter or we stop at a point in the story where there's drama and where there's tension and when there's downtimes and when life is hard and we conclude that it's always going to be that way and it's never going to be good. But this is what we're talking about today. How do we know that God is good? How do we have the good eyes to see that God is good even when life is hard? Joseph didn't know, but Joseph made it through. And when Joseph made it through it, I, I asked myself the question, how did he do it? And I would believe it was because Joseph had the ability to see that God was good, even when life was hard. He understood what we started to look at last week, or we're picking up on this week, where we talked about when Elijah prayed for his servant, Lord, open his eyes that he might see that there's more for us than there is against us. This is an edge in life. This is a key to life. Joseph was able to ascertain in the middle of the difficulties of life that even though life was hard, God was good. Even though life's hardness is sometimes great, God's goodness is always greater, right? Joseph was able to ascertain these things. And when I look at Joseph, I want to ask him the question, how did you do it? Right? Because the eyes are really the key. Matter of fact, look at Luke chapter 11, verse number 3 to begin with. It says, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, spiritually perceptive, and focused on God, your whole body is also full of life benefiting from God's precepts. But when it is bad or spiritually blind, your body is also full of darkness and devoid of God's word. And so what, what is the verse telling us? It's telling us that our eyes are the key to our experience. We've heard it before. Your eyes are the window to the soul, right? And we, we kind of think that you can look through somebody's eyes and see their soul. That's not what that really means. It means that whatever is, enters into your eyes affects your soul. Your eyes are the key to your spiritual well-being. You have to have good eyes. Good eyes are the ability to see that God is good even when life is hard. Joseph, how did you do it? And Joseph did it a couple of ways. Good eyes, number one on your outline, require choosing. Joseph was faced with with these, the, the same choice that you and I are faced with as we journey through life. I want, I want you to look at this with me. Um, Genesis chapter 39, verse number 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Wait a second. He's in slavery, but the Lord is with him. How many has ever, you know, had the devil lie to you and made you believe that just because you're going through something difficult, God's not with you? It's almost like we, we judge the presence and the absence of God by the circumstances surrounding us. The thing I know about God is God is with us always. And lo, I will be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. And you need to remember that because as you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil if you know that God is with you, that his rod is, and his shield is with you, that he surrounds you, that he, he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemy. But if you don't know God is with you, then you're afraid. But I learned that God walks through fires with us, that God sleeps in lion's dens with us, that God goes to hell with us, that God goes wherever we go and follows us wherever we go because God loves us that much. And so, and so sometimes we think because God, God is absent because we're going through a difficult time, but God was with Joseph. And he was successful. And, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. You know what I'm thinking? And this isn't in my notes, but I'm thinking this. As God is kind of laying out this journey, he gives him the dream. And Joseph probably thinks, okay, it's going to go from dream to, 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 to uh, palace in one step. And, and I'm thinking God is probably thinking, hey, Joseph, on your way there, can I use you a little bit? On your way to the palace, can, can I use you to, 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 to minister to, to a man 
who thinks he's all that in a bag of chips? Can, can I drop you by a house where a marriage is in disrepair? Can I, can I use you there? Can, can, I, can I then just, just, just for a minute, Joe, don't worry, we'll get, we'll get to the palace stuff. Well, I know that's where we're going. I, don't, don't you worry. I know where we're going. But can I, can I use you over here? Can I, can I send you into the prison for just a couple of years? Can I, can I send you there because I, I need you to minister to a couple people right, when you're there. I need you to, to, to let your light shine in a dark place. I need you to let the prisoners who are there, who, have, who everybody's forgotten about, I need you to give them some hope. Can I use you for a minute? Can I give you a stop here and a stop there on your way to over here? Now, if you don't know that God is with you in every situation, if you don't know that God is good, you're tempted to believe that the, 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 the resting place, the pit stop is the final stop. But I want you to know when you know that God God is good. And when you know that God is with you through thick and thin, you don't get hung up in the pit stop because you realize the pit stop is only a temporary stop and, and on your way to the palace. So, so he says to him, he, he, he said, everything was prosperous in his hand and, and, and Potiphar seen it. And Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had and under his authority. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And when I read this, I go, what an amazing decision. I say, well, what decision? Joseph didn't have a choice. He was a slave. No, he did have a choice. His choice was, do I look at all the unjust stuff, all the unfair stuff, or do I focus on the fact that God gave me favor in unfair circumstances? What do I choose to look at? Do I look at everything that's happened to me? Do I look at the fact that, 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 that I, I'm in this place and, you know, uh, I'm a slave and, and I'm bound? Or do I look at the fact that, that God is working with me, that God hasn't abandoned me, that even in my, my lowest moments I can still see the hand of God molding me and making me? Do I have a heavenly perspective? Do I have good eyes? Am I spiritually perceptive when life is very problematic? What do I look at? I have a choice. In my circumstances. And it's not a choice that I have to look at only once or make only once, but I gotta make it over and over again because hardship doesn't just come once, hardship comes. And when I say hardship comes, I always gotta say, but so does goodness. See, you gotta, you gotta believe that, that you gotta look for goodness on its way instead of expecting hardness on its way. Anytime, anytime hardship shows up, that means that goodness is on the doorstep. Look at it as a sign. When you see a giant, don't get scared. When you see a giant, say there's grapes behind that giant. See, every time you see a problem, you've got to see a promise behind your problem. But you, we'll talk about this in a minute. But you've got to train yourself to look that way. And so he's got this choice time and time again. Genesis chapter 39, he, uh, he gets another choice to look at the goodness instead of the hardness of life. Genesis 39, verse number 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I told you I could relate to this man. And it came to pass... Some of y'all need to laugh a little bit in your life. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, look at this, cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused. What was Mrs. P's problem? She had the wrong kind of eyes. The devil threw a big fat pitch of lust right down the middle of the plate. And she said, oh, that looks good. Let me swing at this. Can't swing at the devil's pitches. Swing at the devil's pitches, you make outs. 
And so that was her problem. Her eyes weren't right. She had the wrong eyes. And Joseph was like, no, I'm not having none of that. My master's been too good for me. My, God, my God's been too good for me. And, and so she lies and says to her husband when she sees that Joseph ran out, that Joseph tried to rape her. And so Joseph's master, verse number 20, took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph had a choice. I'm in prison because somebody lied about me. This isn't fair. Why does bad stuff always happen to me? How come I can't get out of this cycle? I don't understand. I did the right thing. God, I ran away from the temptation. You told me to flee youthful lust. I fleed the temptation, believing that you would protect me when I fleed the temptation. But instead of protecting me, you landed me on prison. Should he focus on all of that or should he focus on the fact, God, I don't know why exactly this turned out this way, but I know you got a plan. And in the middle of me waiting for, for to understand your plan, I'm going to look at the fact that your favor is on my life, even in unfair circumstances. You have a choice in any given situation. Are you going to go down bitter road or are you going to go down better road? Everybody comes to the crossroads in life where you could choose bitter or you could choose better. And here's what I found out, that the same circumstances usually happen in people who wind up on bitter road and who wind up on better road. They just made different choices. Most of us think our circumstances are unique, but we can find many people who have struggled with the exact same circumstances that we are going through. And some people are living a happy life that's full of joy and other people look like they've been baptized in lemon juice and are walking around the whole time sad and their countenance can never recover again. Why? They've chosen to focus on the wrong things. I'm not saying that there's not a time to mourn, but at some point we have to dust the dust off of our lives. We have to get up out of the ashes and believe God for beauty from the ashes. You've got to choose to go on better road than bitter road. Bitter road all it does is make you bitter. Bitter all it does is spoil your attitude. Bitter all it does is make you miserable to be around. Stay on bitter road too long, you won't have no friends. People's lives are hard enough. They don't want to be around somebody that's always talking about problems. Eventually, they want to, they want to deal with their stuff. They want, they want to be around people who can encourage them. Have an encouraging word on your lips. And so he made this choice to choose to have good eyes. I think it was um, Robert... Frost in his famous poem, The Road Less Taken, who said, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's hard to choose better roads sometimes, but it makes all the difference. In order to have good eyes, you've got to choose. Second thing you've got to do to have good eyes is you've got to train. Good eyes require training. Have you ever noticed them, them, them annoying Google ads that pop up when you're searching? You're like, How, I, what? I didn't put that in the search. How did that, would you, you put that in the search three weeks ago or four weeks ago? And they had a bot that followed you. A bot that was looking at what you were looking at. And that bot that was looking at what you were looking at decided to record it in its memory. So that way when you were scrolling for scores for baseball games, all of a sudden an ad for tires came up. And you were like, how in the world did they, uh, what, what tires, I, what, where'd that come from? See, what was happening is Google was, was saving 
in its memory what you had looked at at a prior time so it could bring it up and bring it to your attention again. Here's what I learned about us. I learned that we work the same way Google works, except at a more advanced level. That that we have what's called a reticular uh, activating system. A reticular activating system. And this is basically how your brain records what you look at and it brings it to your attention again because it thinks you want to look at it again. And so whatever you give, and it works with your eyes, whatever you give your eyes to, your brain takes a mental note of, and then all of a sudden your brain will bring it up to you. And that's why, for instance, thoughts you think come out of nowhere. You're like, I don't understand why that thought's coming back. But you were focusing on that. You were looking at that thing a couple of days ago. And let me give you a practical example of how this thing works, this reticular RAS, reticulator uh, activating system. Anybody ever played the game Punch Buggy? Punch Buggy? Come on, man. Y'all don't know what Punch Buggy is? It's a game you play when you, you look for all the VW bugs on the road. Punch Buggy, right? And, and, and you'd be on the school bus, and you know, everybody would just be chilling out. And then one of your friends would go, Punch Buggy Yellow, and punch you right in the arm, right? And now the game was on. And everybody started looking at Punch Buggies. They'd be like, Punch Buggy Green, and Punch Buggy Red, and everybody would be punching each other. And all of a sudden, all these VW bugs, which were there the whole time, all of a sudden, everybody starts noticing them. Because you told your brain to look for VW bugs, and because you told your brain what to look for, your brain brain starts bringing before your eyes what it expects and thinks you want to see. It's training. You got to tell your brain what to look for. Here's the beauty. Ann Dillard said this. He said, she said, unless I call my attention to what passes before my eyes, I won't see it. Unless I call my attention to what passes before my eyes, I won't see it. Two people can be married they can be talking about everything that's wrong with one another. You know what I like to do? Make a list of everything that's right with one another. Read over that list four, five, six times a day. Why? You're going to tell your eyes what to look for. All of a sudden, you're not going to see it. They do this, and they do that, and they do this, and they do that. All of a sudden, you're going to see, oh, they really do this well. And I really love this about them and that about them. What, what, what gives? You've got to train your eyes on what to look for. You've got to call your attention to what you want to see. And we looked at this. Here's the great thing about this training that is involved in us being able to see that God is good even when life is hard is we control what we see. We looked about this a couple weeks ago in the series, Stay Woke. You remember that? Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Here's what the scripture says. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the reprogramming or the rewiring of your mind that you may prove or experience it. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? What's it saying? It's saying that you train your mind, you control that, and when you train your mind, your mind tells your eyes what to see. You train your mind and your mind tells your eyes what to see. How do you train your mind? You train your mind in two ways. You train your mind, first of all, through the right kind of talk. Talk good about yourself. Now, I was half playing when I said I could relate to Joseph because he's so good looking, right? Because the Bible said that, even though kind of true, but I was kind of playing around about it, right? And, and you all think, ah, but here's the thing you need to know. Talk good about yourself. Even if you ugly look in the mirror and say, I'm so good looking, I get better looking every day. 
Oh, that's a good thing. Remember Joe Namath, that's what he's, Joe Namath ain't a handsome man. I, I, I know what he thought he was. His nose is like, I mean, he, he lived it up like this, like a two-car garage, right? Sorry, Joe. But I mean, he thinks he's handsome, but he convinced himself. Talk good about yourself, right? Tell yourself good things about you. Why? It's important because you're training your eyes what to see. You're training your brain and your, your brain is telling your eyes what to see. So instead of seeing everything that's wrong with you and winding up depressed and winding up not being able to accomplish, when you train your mind to tell your eyes what to see and you start talking good about yourself, all of a sudden you start seeing the value in you. And when you start seeing the value in you, you please God. You know where we got this idea that God likes it when we belittle ourselves. Who told you? It's not humility, it's stupidity. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're God's masterpiece. Imagine, imagine I put a work of art up here, right? And, and I said, man, I made this. And then you all said, that's ugly, Pastor. It's the worst piece of art i ever seen. I know why you call that a piece of art. It's a piece of junk to me. It's going to make me feel bad, ain't it? God goes like this with you. Look at this masterpiece that I made right here. And I go, oh, I can't ever do that. I'm not good at that. I stink at that. I'm bad at that. You know what God is like? What's wrong with you? I made you. You're a masterpiece. Right? Talk good about yourself. You train your brain to tell your eyes what to look for when you talk good about you. Talk good about your surroundings. Talk good about the outcomes. Talk good about your future. Talk good about everything. Why? Because you train your eyes what to see, and what you see is what you be. What you see is what you be. Your eyes will lead you to your experience in life. The eyes are the window to the soul. If the eye is good, the whole body, the whole experience is good. Not only talk good about that, talk good about the people around you. Talk good about it. Just talk good. That's why gossip is one of the things the Lord hates. Seven things the Lord hates, right? One of them is gossip. Why? Because it's talking bad. God doesn't like talking bad. God said when the children of Israel came back from the promised land and they talked bad about the promised land, God said that's an evil report. Not that it's just not bad. It's downright evil. Talk good. Because when you talk right, you're training your brain to tell your eyes what to look for. But don't just talk right to you. Talk right to God. Talk right to God. Look at the scripture with me. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul is praying. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of your calling. What is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe. What does Paul say? He said, the reason why some of us aren't getting what we should get is because we haven't been enlightened yet. Our spiritual eyes haven't been opened to how great God's power for us is. How much God's power is working on our behalf. How many good things God wants to do for us. And because our eyes are shut to that, we are not experiencing what we should be experiencing. But if we will pray for enlightenment, if we will talk to God, and what is enlightenment? It's when you become aware, when your eyes become open to something that other people see may have even been trying to tell you about but all of a sudden the penny drops for you and there is no substitute when the penny drops for you you cannot live off of my revelation you got to get your own revelation it's got to hit your heart in order for it to make a difference in your life talk to God about it when you do you train 
Your mind, when you train your mind, your eyes look for the right things. Your reticular activating system all of a sudden starts bringing things to your remembrance or bringing things to your sight that it thinks you want to see. And so you could be at a Yankee game like I was at a couple weeks ago, and the Yankees had won 9 out of 10. But the one game they lost is the game that I was at because I put the malarkia on them. And everybody in the stands thought it was a bad day, but I said, this is a good day. I saw it differently than everybody else. Your mind will let you see things the way you want to see stuff. By the way, there's no such thing as the Maloike. I'm just playing around, okay? (laughs) Number three, if you're going to have good eyes, your eyes require protecting, choosing, training, protecting. Here's Joseph, and this is where we really get to our text. Joseph is before his brothers, the ones that, that lied about him, beat him, betrayed him, broke up his family, in his point of view, for 13 years, caused suffering, caused him to be a slave, caused him to send time in prison, caused him to not not have any connection with his homeland. Now Joseph is before them, or they're before Joseph, and Joseph has the chance to pay them back. Revenge. How sweet it is. Payback is a bad thing. It's a bad thing. So you might think that it's enjoyable. You might think, oh, but here's what, here's what payback does. Payback blinds your eyes to the goodness of God. Payback, taking vengeance on somebody else, unforgiveness somebody said. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. What it does is it blinds you from the goodness that God wants to show you in your life. And so Joseph doesn't pay back. Joseph pulls back. And instead of paying back, Joseph just puts all these blessings on them. He says, go home and get dad. And he's got grandkids to meet. And go home and get your wives. And they got nieces and nephews to meet. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you houses. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to take care of you. What was Joseph? doing he was not only blessing his family but he was protecting his eyes your eyes need protection you can't let the devil what the devil throws your way to get all up in your eyes it'll blur your outlook on life it'll make you miserable it'll eat at you on the inside you need to protect your eyes in order to have good eyes joseph said do not fear what you meant for evil god meant for good I remember a lady in our church years ago, I had just gone through a terrible situation. It became public. And, uh, you know, she felt for me the church was very compassionate. And uh, she was going through a really difficult time. And, and both of our difficult times were the result of what somebody else did. There are different kinds of difficult times, right? There are difficult times which we have no answers to. Let's face that, right? We, we can't pinpoint it. We don't, we don't know. It's, it's, it's life. It's, it's part of what, what happens. There are difficult times that we create by, by wrong choices, right? And then there are difficult times where, where somebody else does something to us and we pay for it. And that's the, those are the real difficult times because cause, cause you can blame somebody. Because you and I, we don't like to blame us. But if we can blame somebody else, we're good at that. We're like, yeah, your fault. You know, your fault. Like a narc, right? That's it, your fault. They, they did it. It wasn't me. Yeah, right? Type of thing. And, and so once we, we were going through this difficult time, and, and, and I had kind of, you know, gotten past it and worked through a lot of the processes and things like that. And she said, she said, Pastor, are you ever going to be able to trust anybody again? How can you do that after what happened to you? And she was asking me in relation to how she was feeling. And I said, let me share with you what God told me. God told me not to let what they did to me change who he made me to be. 
Because see, when you, when, you, when you become a different person because of what somebody else did, you have given them ultimate power. They become the Lord of your life. But here's what I learned. Jesus is my Lord. They're not my Lord. I'm not going to give them power when Jesus has got power over my life. See, we need, we need to protect ourselves, protect our eyes. The next thing that we need to do if we're going to have good eyes, and, and this one I really love, is we need to, good eyes require believing. Notice what Joseph said. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And when I read this for the first time, this scripture got me a little, a little twisted. I was like, wait a second. Meant, meant. The same meant that they meant is the same meant that God meant? Like, God, this word's got to mean something different than what it appears to mean. And so I looked up the word meant, and I found out the word meant in the original language has different shades of meaning. That in, on one sense, the word meant can be devise. And this is what I believe the first meant in, in Joseph's statement uh, should be translated as. What you devised against me. What you devised to hurt me. What you devised to destroy me. What you devised to steal from me. What you devised that you thought was, was going to take me out. This is what you did. You devised this. But then I found out that devise can also mean to weave. And so I found out that what the scripture really means and how it should really be interpreted is what you devised against me, God has weaved together for me. What you devised to hurt me, God has weaved together to help me. What you devised to take me out, God has weaved together to take me over. And here's what I heard God say to me. God said, you need to be believing that I'm weaving. Believing that I'm weaving. Believing that I'm weaving healing from hurt. Believe that I'm weaving blessing from brokenness. Believe that I'm weaving prosperity through poverty. Believe that I'm weaving a miracle through a mess believe that i'm weaving power through pain i'm not swinging at a devil's pitch because i know whatever the devil sends my way i'm believing that god is weaving everything is working together for my good everything matter of fact this is one of the promises in the word of god Romans 8, 28, and we know that God works all things together for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, if you don't like my believing that he's weaving, that's why you rhyming. That's like corny. So you remember it. But I got another one for you. If you don't like believing that he's weaving, you got to believe that he's taking, baking, and making. Kicked it up a notch. That's a three-level rhyme right there. The other one was a two-level rhyme. This one's even more intense. You got to believe that he's taking, baking, and making. See, here's what I found out about life. I found out life is a lot like bacon. Not B-A-C-O-N. My my Brooklyn's getting on me right now. But B-A-K-I-N-G, baking. Proper English. I said bacon. Made you think I was talking about ham and eggs and bacon, right? But I found out life is a lot like baking. It's so hard to talk right, isn't it? Especially if you're from Brooklyn. I mean, you just get all screwed up all the time, right? I found out that, that, you know, when you bake stuff, all the ingredients, with the exception of maybe one, is nasty by itself. Anybody ever have a hankering for some flour? You ever, you ever thought, I'm going to go home and get me some flour, man. Get me a spoon and give me some flour. You see the guy at the ball game recently with the mayonnaise jug? Did y'all see that on ESPN? The guy was at a ball game sitting in the hot sun with a five-gallon jar of mayonnaise and a spoon and just eating it right out of, oh, man, that's nasty. 
But here's what I found out about, about bacon. Is that sometimes you got to put some nasty things in flour, man. I, I'm going to start with that. I don't, I'm going to have to trust this recipe right here. I, I don't know how that is going to come out tasting good. I, and and then, then the thing says, and gets you some, some baking powder. Anybody ever taste this all by itself? It's bitter nasty. How many know some things that come into your life are bitter nasty? Some things that you come into your life, man, you're like, that, that is, that is the most awful thing that I can ever experience. But you know what? What happens is that goes into the, to the bowl as well. And then even though this, 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 this has the appearance of good, chocolate, cocoa, and, and you look at this stuff, and you're like, man, this, this, this looks like it's going to taste good. It's, it's cocoa, but it's unsweetened cocoa. And then you taste it, you go, that's nasty too. Cause I'm going to even know sometimes the devil will bring some stuff into your life that at first looks like it's going to be good, but after it's nasty. And we know what happens with that. It, go, it goes into the, to the bacon. And then you rushing home after a hot day working out there. He said, give me, the, give me some of that oil. Oil by itself is nasty, but you need that oil to go in there. And, and, and how about this? Some of you like to put this on your food, but too much of it is nasty and all by itself. I mean, salt by itself, you know? Just imagine, I hope this cap is closed. I mean, you know them crazy people with them drinks? They put salt all up on a cup and they're like... That's the devil tricking you into thinking something tastes good. It's nasty. But that goes in there. Butter. Yeah, you got some Italian bread? That's on time right there, right? But I mean, anybody? Nasty. But that, that goes in there, right? I mean, I like eating these. Scramble them up, put some mozzarella in there. Anybody ever just crack one right into your mouth and swallow like Rocky style? That's nasty goes right in there here's what i found out is that when i when i look at that my mind cannot compute how when this stuff that i take from the pantry and put in the bowl in order to mix it and bake it can come out something different and something good i don't understand here's what god says god says i want you to give me all of the stuff i'll take all the nasty stuff that comes into your life here's what i'll do with it i will start baking all of the nasty stuff in your life i'll start taking it i'll start baking it and then what i'll do is i'll put all this stuff into my heavenly design and it's gonna come out looking like that and i'm like how did that come from that? I have no idea. It doesn't even look nothing like that. And my mind cannot fathom that. But this stuff right here is good. Come on, somebody help me out with this. Who's helping me out? Melissa, come pass out some of this goodness right now. Here you go. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? You need to taste and see it for yourself. Now listen, listen. It requires... It requires believing. But the last thing that I want to share with you, and I think it's the most important thing, good eyes requires remembering. So remembering what? Remembering Jesus. See, Pastor, what does the story of Joseph have anything to do with Jesus? Everything. The story of Joseph is the story of Jesus. 
See, we look at the Old Testament stories and we think that they're these individual stories. But the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to, to foreshadow and tell us the story of Jesus before Jesus arrived. And so when we, we read the story of Joseph, we find out that the similarities between him and Jesus are, are endless. There's like 186 of them, I'm told. I should have said, I studied them all out, found 186. I, I, somebody told me there's 186. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. Jesus was sent by his father to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Joseph's brothers rejected him in his dream. Jesus' people rejected him in his dream or his mission. Joseph's coat was stripped from him by his brothers. Jesus' coat was stripped from him by his crucifiers. Joseph was put in a pit to die. Jesus was hung on a cross to die. Joseph was sold into slavery. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was a servant to a man named Potiphar. Jesus, the son of God, came to be a servant of all. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife and didn't give in. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and didn't give in. Joseph was unjustly accused of a rape, a crime by Potiphar's wife that he didn't commit and was thrown into prison. Jesus was unjustly accused of a crime he didn't commit and was thrown on a cross. Joseph was numbered with two transgressions while he was in jail, a butler and a baker. One made it out and lived. The other made it, didn't make it out and died. Jesus was numbered with two transgressors on the cross. One accepted him and lived. The other rejected rejected him and died. Joseph was raised out of a pit, was delivered from prison, and was crowned in a palace. Jesus was raised from the dead, delivered from the prison of hell, and crowned king of kings and lord of lords. The story of Joseph is the story of Jesus. Why does this matter? Well, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God works all things together for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But Romans 8.32, right after God tells us to remember his goodness, to have good eyes, says, He who did not spare up his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? In other words, what God is saying is this. He's saying, in order for you to have good eyes, you need to remember Jesus. Why? God's saying, I gave you the very best I have to start the relationship. In other words, I didn't, I didn't hold out and give you some of my good. I gave you everything I got so that you would know every other thing that I have, I freely want to give you. And so here's what happens. When the enemy comes into my life and throws me bad pitches and I'm tempted to stray and believe that life is hard, I remember Jesus and I think, but God is good when stuff comes my way and my eyes get weary and I start getting tired I remember Jesus and instead of saying life is hard I say God is good when circumstances surprise me and I'm tempted to retreat I remember Jesus and instead of saying life is hard I say God is good every time I remember Jesus I can't help but remember God is good because if God gave me Jesus how shall he not with him freely give me everything else how shall he not turn every situation around remember Jesus Jesus Jesus, he's your ticket to good eyes when life is hard remember God is good because of Jesus would you stand to your feet